Summer is over. A Cuban Cohiba that breaks the bank. And football guru Chris Landry joins us for our NFL 2023 preview. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Pure Evil. Blended for cigar connoisseurs, able to handle a full-flavored cigar loaded with strength, power, and richness. Do not let the name fool you. Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and by Davidoff of Geneva and their Camacho portfolio of cigars, including the Camacho Triple Maduro. With a four-country blend of all Maduro tobaccos, Camacho Triple Maduro delivers an explosion of bold, earthy flavors, including cedar, pepper, and subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. We have heard it all week, especially after Labor Day ended. Summer's over. Every TV show, summer's over. Even though it's officially not the end of summer, summer's over. I'll give you my take about summer being over. The good news is football is back. What a weekend of college football. couple of upsets. The NFL kicks off this evening. The Lions, the Chiefs. We will talk about it with Chris Landry. We are set for kickoff, and hopefully my Buffalo Bills will be in the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. At this time of the year, optimism reigns eternal. Long-ash greetings and salutations. A long-ash snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Marxocrats. Make America great again. Hashtag Save America. Trump 2024. Well, after Labor Day, that's all I heard on Tuesday and yesterday. Summer's over. Every TV show, summer's over. Every person I talk to, business-wise, uh, socially, summer's over. And I don't know about you, but as a kid, growing up in Buffalo, we would always start school the Wednesday following Labor Day. We'd always have a half day, ease us into the new school year. Now, in Florida and much of the South and Southwest and even the West, they start early. I know here in the Cigar City of Tampa, Hillsborough County schools start, I think, around August 10th or August 14th, ridiculously early. I have no idea why. But growing up, it was always school starting the Wednesday after Labor Day. And I'll never forget, you know, you get out of school around the second week of June, be all excited, and you'd either go to camp or you'd work or you'd do something. And of course, on weekends and evenings, you'd go out to have a good time with friends. Whatever it was, I remember as, as a kid in high school, we'd go out to Putt-Putt or we'd go out uh, uh, to Canada, which is just across the border from Buffalo, go out to the beach. And in those days, you didn't need a passport. You literally, they asked you, citizen of what country? United States. Where, where are you going? I'm going to the beach. How long are you going to be here? Four hours. Great. Have a nice day. That was it. Now you got to show them your passport. You got to give them fingerprint. I mean, I'm being, I'm exaggerating, but very, very different. But I will never forget, July was always like the peak of summer. And then you get into August and you'd start thinking, oh boy, this is it. School is around the corner. This is the last month of summer. And then we'd always get a little cool 
spell usually around mid-August. And then you started thinking, okay, fall is around the corner. We're going back to school. And when Labor, I always hated Labor Day. Worst holiday of the year. Why? Because it signified summer is over, back to school. And even in business, when you think about it, people take a lot of vacation in the summer. Many businesses close early in the summer. Fridays, they're closed, maybe 2, 3 o'clock. It's very, very different. Everything is kind of a little bit more casual in the summer. And then once September kicks around, everybody is back to work, back to school. And I always, I don't know about you, but I always hated Labor Day because I knew it was back to school. The fun summertime's over, even though summer doesn't officially, the autumnal equinox, that's very technical. It shows you that I took Astronomy 101 and Astronomy 102 at Syracuse University with noted professor Gunther Vessel. And I remember he talked like this. We're going to learn today about astronomy as the planets. Autumnal equinox, what is it? And we learned the autumnal equinox, the official start of autumn, the end of summer. Always, I think, around September 20th, 22nd, somewhere around that time. But I would always remember autumnal equinox. And even though, even though the autumnal equinox isn't for another couple of weeks, there's something about right after Labor Day. Like the Tuesday after Labor Day, you got Labor Day, then the next day, I don't know if it's... The, the sky looks different. Things change, whatever it is. It's always that mental time of year when things change and summer is over. Now, of course, living in Florida, we have summer pretty much year-round. The days get shorter in the winter. But our best, really the most beautiful weather is in the wintertime, November, December. It can get cool in January, but the days are beautiful in the winter here, usually 60s, 70s, low humidity. So to a degree, I welcome the fact that summer is over, the hot, uh, the, the, the high heat, the humidity. But there's just something mentally that says, oh, man, the days are going to get shorter. The, the fun times, the vacations are over. The only salvation is football returns. Football is back last weekend. What an exceptional weekend of football. How about the upset? Colorado at TCU, Texas Christian University. As Keith Jackson would say, the great legendary play-by-play man for ABC, Keith Jackson. Whoa, What an upset. Coach Prime. Prime time. Prime time. Incredible upset. I have a feeling Dion. Now, it's not going to be a cakewalk the rest of the year. But look, when you turn over a roster like that and you have great coaches, anything can happen. I have a feeling Dion may be one and done. Don't be surprised if the University of Florida or a National Football League team comes a-calling. Now, Dion has said he doesn't want to go to the NFL. But when they throw that kind of money in, in, into the mix, you never know. Although I don't think Dion is motivated by the money. Everybody said, oh, Dion's not serious about being a head coach. Well, he went to Jackson State. And that exactly is not a football powerhouse, but he went to an HBCU, did a nice job, turned around. In fact, he actually put money out of his own pocket into the program, into some facilities and and other things. So you can't say the man is not committed. 
He certainly was. Did a great job at Jackson State. Colorado comes a-calling, but who knows? Maybe he's one and done. Florida, they had a tough loss, although Billy Napier, I think it's going to take him some time because the cupboard was bare, and you have to be a little patient. But now what's going to happen? Every single college football fan base is going to see what Dion did. Turning over the roster, went to the portal, brought in, what, 42 new players, or 50, whatever it is. And now every alumni group is going to expect that a new coach does the same thing. It's not that realistic to do. He was able to do it. But nonetheless, incredible success. And how about Duke, the Blue Devils, whack Clemson. The Clemson Tigers get absolutely mauled by Duke. And it is good to see that because Clemson's got loads of money. Clemson's been fetching along with Florida State. They want out of the ACC. They want to make more money. They're the premier team in the, in the conference, so the premier teams. Well, Florida State was pretty down and out. This year, it's going to be a difference. But when you take a look at Florida State, the last 10 years, where have they been? Nowhere. Clemson, the last couple of years, been okay, but hasn't been in the, in the national football championship mix. And with the spanking that Duke gave them, it could be a rough year. Now it's early. That we know. But nonetheless, Clemson looked awful. So not a great time for Clemson to complain about the ACC. Personally, I'd like to see Clemson dead last. That's just me being a Syracuse Orange fan and Clemson winning it for so long. So we'll see what happens. But college football, a great start to the season. But summer is officially over, and later in this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, just very shortly, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, one of the premier football analysts. He is consulting to consults many uh, NFL teams, college programs. He breaks down. He gets into the Landry Cave. He's got you know his uh, his eight ten TVs going at all times, recording everything, and he will give us a great preview of the NFL season to come. And that will be just around the corner. Gurkha has long been the king when it comes to opulent, grandly made cigars. And the new Gurkha Pure Evil more than lives up to that legacy. Gurkha originally launched the Pure Evil 15 years ago as a limited edition cigar. They went back to their blend vault. They tweaked the blend to add more flavor, more complexity. The result is a Gurkha Pure Evil that is loaded with flavor, full body, Full notes of richness. Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. Don't let the name fool you. The Gurkha Pure Evil is pure cigar pleasure. Gurkha, the world's finest cigars. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. have seen the price of Cuban cigars explode. They've gone double, triple around the world. Why? Because when the Chinese, the CCP, purchased 50% of Habanos and Altadas, they tied all the prices to the Hong Kong price, which is humongous. And now much of the Cuban cigar inventory is heading over to China. That is a fact. Huge demand. 
Now, a cigar that was targeted for the British market, the Cuban Cohiba 2021 Colección Habanos, comes in a box that looks like a book. Very, very cool. Dark blue, Cohiban gold. On the, uh, on the side of the book, it's almost like if you were to put it in a bookshelf, it's got 2021 listed on it and some other items on there. Very, very decorative box. And the cigar, which was lo- uh, announced two years ago, the box comes with 20 cigars, 20 Cohiba Ideales. Now, the Cohibas are good cigars. Now, many of their edition limitadas, they make a big deal about because they age their wrappers two years. Big deal. Virtually every Nicaraguan, Honduran, Dominican, even American-made hand-rolled premium cigar, they won't use wrapper less than two or three years old. But in Cuba, if it's a two years old or above, they make a big deal and get a big buck. Well, this particular Cohiba 2021 Colección Habanos, which comes in a very, very unique box, no ifs, ands, or buts, is not expensive. It is outrageously exorbitantly priced. In honor and the memory of the great Bob Barker, passed away last week at the age of 99, I always thought I should be the heir apparent to Bob Barker on The Price is Right. I could see myself coming out when they say, here's the star of The Price is Right, the General Cigar Dave. I could see myself coming out and one of, one of the hot-looking models has the long microphone, give it to me. And I'd welcome everybody and say, here is the first item up for bid on The Price is Right. I could see myself doing that. I could see myself when one of the winners comes up, let's say her name was Mary, and say, Mary, where are you from? I'm from Omaha, General. Mary, how would you like to go back to Omaha in this, a brand new car? I always believed I should have been the heir apparent. So, in memory of Bob Barker, and since I should have... Drew Carey is not a game show host. I'm sorry, Drew Carey doesn't look the part, doesn't sound the part. I mean, you look at a lot of those game show hosts, like Bob Barker, Wink Martindale, um, Alex Trebek, Tom Kennedy. They all had the look. They were dressed well, pocket square. They all looked the part. Drew Carey looks like a schlump. He just doesn't have it. I I just don't get it. I should have been the one replacing Bob Barker, but that's another story. But in memory of Bob Barker, and since I should have been the heir apparent, let's play a little game. Let's play the high-low game. And you probably remember it where Bob, you know, there's a price, there's a, a product, whatever it is. You know, a washer, a washer dryer set from Maytag. And he says, okay, you've got 30 seconds. You give me a price and I'll tell you higher or lower until you get the, until you get the actual price. Okay? So somebody would say 500, higher, 600, higher, 700, higher, 800, lower, 750, higher, 760, higher, 770, higher, 780, lower, 771, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, bing, 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 you win. So let's play the high-low game for the new... Cohiba, Colección Habanos, 20 cigars. How much for every individual cigar, the Cohiba Idealis? And that looks to me, the Idealis looks like it's about a, 
I would say about a six and a half inch cigar by about 50, 52. Actually, I can tell you the exact. It's six and five eighths, so I was right, by 56. So I would call that a almost a, a, a Toro extra, if you will. And there's only going to be 3,000 boxes. So 60,000 cigars, that is it. So let's play the high-low game for the price of an individual Cohiba Idealis that's part of the 2021 Collection Habanos Cohiba. Here we go. Let's start it off. 20, higher. 50, higher. 70, higher. 100, higher. 200, higher. 300, higher. 400, higher. 450, higher. 480, higher. 500, higher. 510, higher. 520, lower. 511, bing, 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 bing. 511 US dollars per cigar. Actually, it's 400 pounds sterling per cigar. $511 per cigar. $10,200 for the entire box of 20. I don't care if they use gold in the wrapper. I don't care if they put put titanium in the blend. No cigar is worth $511 per cigar. And I will guarantee you, I could put I'll put a Davidoff Winston Churchill by 25 bucks. I will put a Rocky Patel Vintage 99 Connecticut, 10 bucks. I will put a Perdomo. Let's just say a Perdomo Habano. Probably, you know, in the $9 to $11 area. I'll put that next to the Cohiba. I will put a Gurkha Cellar Reserve. Doesn't matter the year. Probably looking anywhere between 8 to about 17 bucks. I'll put it next to any of those Cohibas. And those cigars from Honduras, the Dominican, Nicaragua, will be every bit as good and most likely better than the $511 Cohiba Idealis. What the Cuban cigar cartel, Habanos, has done is outprice their cigars to a degree that overprice their cigars that most consumers can no longer afford. Now, they're selling everything they make. They don't make a ton of cigars. Maybe they make 40 million cigars a year. Maybe. So they sell everything they can. So what has happened? In Europe, there has been an explosion of cigars and a demand for cigars from Honduras, from Nicaragua, from the Dominican Republic, even from the U.S., made in Miami or made in Tampa. They call them New World Cigars, whereas Cubans are Old World Cigars. New World Cigars, and they are blowing, I mean, they're flying off the shelves. They are blowing them out. And that is a reason why you may notice supply issues at many of your cigar retailers because the cigar manufacturers that are based in the United States and the distributors, they now have not only to service the American market, but now also the European and the Asian market. So there is a tremendous demand on their cigars because Habanos has doubled, tripled the price of cigars to unreasonable levels. 
a Trinidad, which used to cost maybe in Europe 25 U.S. dollars, is now 75, 80 U.S. dollars. I'm sorry, I love cigars, but I'm not going to pay 75, 80 a cigar. Neither will you. Now, if it's a special age cigar, 50 years, okay, maybe. But that's few and far between. These are cigars that are aged maybe two years. That's it. So this cigar, the new Cohiba Idealis, which is part of this 2021 Cohiba Collection Habanos, beyond ridiculous in price, $511. Will they sell all the 60,000 cigars? Absolutely. But it's going to be sold to a very limited number of people. And that's why the Nicaraguan, Honduran, Dominican cigar manufacturers, their business has exploded. The pandemic was an issue. But now that Habanos has raised their prices, you will see more demand on their cigars. And remember, when you have higher demand, you can't just tomorrow say, great, grow more tobacco and we'll make more cigars next year. The tobacco that's grown, starting, it'll be planted in the Dominican, Nicaragua, starting next month. That tobacco will be harvested towards the end of this year and early part of next year. Those crops will sit for most likely three years before anything happens. So you can't just turn the switch on. That's why cigar manufacturers that are able to accumulate raw material, they are in a great position. And that's why you've seen many cigar manufacturers, they may not have their own factories, but they go out and they acquire loads of raw tobacco so they can just let it sit and let it age so they have enough raw tobacco to make their great cigars. All right, when we return, we will be joined by Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. We will check out everything when it comes to the NFL. We'll go through the divisions. We'll go through the conferences. We'll check it all out. Everything you need to know about NFL football is coming your way next. Maduro cigar wrappers are known for their unique complexity of flavor that include richness, spiciness, and subtle notes of sweetness. Now if you take a Maduro wrapper and make an entire cigar of Maduro wrapper and Maduro binder, Maduro filler, what do you get? Camacho Triple Maduro, a Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper, a Mexican Corojo Maduro binder, and then Maduro fillers from Honduras, the Dominican Republic, and Brazil, you get a cigar that is dark, rich, full-on flavor, medium to full-bodied, with notes of cedar, roasted nuts, some pepper, and a subtle sweetness. The Camacho Triple Maduro, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. That is the sound of NFL on Fox, and that can only mean one thing. The National Football League is about to kick off. I cannot wait. It seems like forever since we have been awaiting pro football to kick off once again, and it does so Thursday, next Thursday, September 7th, 8.20 p.m. Eastern time on NBC The Detroit Lions at the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champion. Lions had a uh, pretty good season last year, up and coming. We'll see how they do this year, and we have got to do our NFL preview. We did our college football preview last week. 
We do our NFL preview this week. We bring in once again our college, or correction, our college and NFL football expert, our football guru, Chris Landry, down in the bayou in Louisiana, joining us from the Landry Football Cave, where you, uh, I'm sure, watched tons of college football the past week. Yeah, it's certainly uh, it's always great how the schedules plays out. Now you know you got college football the, uh, the the week zero, and then college football has the center stage Labor Day weekend, and then the right after Labor Day, you know the Thursday it's the opening of the NFL season. the The schedule makers have uh, kind of coordinated it very well, where it's almost like a a celebration, like a like a holiday season with the crescendo being Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, opening up the uh, present uh, starting up the NFL season. Well, let's take a look at some of the changes, first of all, in the head coaching ranks, because that does have an impact. First up, and by the way, I think there's a tendency. I know that if I were an NFL owner right now, I would only consider offensive-minded coaches because I believe the league has been slanted towards offense, especially with the rules and slinging the ball. And the problem is, is that if you are a defensive-minded coach and you have a great year offensively, your offensive coordinator is going to be plucked away for a head coaching job and you have to start all over again. That's me. What's your take on that, Chris? Well, certainly I think that, to me, I think there are different ways to do it. But I think you can't get around the fact that you've got to have a quarterback, you've got to develop a quarterback, and you've got to you got to give him protection. you got to give him weapons. And if you're not focused on being able to do that, whether you're a defensive coach who puts the offense in the hands of a real good offensive-minded coach or if you're you know, a head coach on, on, uh, that's on the offensive side, I think you've got to embrace a lot of what's being done in the college game, the RPOs, and I think we're seeing it. We've seen it with Andy Reid in Kansas City. Um, we're now seeing it. We're going to see it with Indianapolis and some of these young quarterbacks that come from an RPO system. I think you've got to embrace the changes and the styles and the spread. So I think that offensive coaches are of uh, uh, high premium right now, whether they're the head coach, whether they are the, the up-and-coming coordinators. I think you can debate that. But I think that's why most of them, head coaches, are coming from the offensive side. Do you still do uh, some consulting work and breaking down film uh, for any of the NFL teams? I do. Um, you know, not as much volume, but I do that on the college and NFL level, yes. Excellent. And so you have the ability to really look, obviously, at tons of games and really get insight not only on college players but also NFL players. And so when we look this season – at what changes have taken place in the offseason. you got to start, first of all, with the head coaches. And so you obviously know many of these head coaches because you've seen them either in the college ranks or in the NFL ranks as assistant coaches working their way up. But one guy that I know you know very well, since he was in your backyard for many years, Sean Payton, now the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I think that that's maybe the most intriguing one is what is he going to mean for Russell Wilson? And that's a pretty good Bronco defense talent-wise. Now, they're off the rough start in preseason with injuries at receiver, but it's a new dynamic, a new day. Sean is um, Sean's a very good coach. Sean, um, Sean has a huge ego. A lot of these guys have huge egos, but uh, it's, it's pretty big. Uh, uh, for Sean, I, what he can do with this team is going to be intriguing in a division that is very talented with Kansas City, the Chargers, who I think are under coach but are very talented, 
Denver's right there. The Raiders are probably going to be better, but I don't know how good. I think that Sean's going to have a huge impact. Uh, I may be wrong, but I think it's going to be a big impact because I think they're going to run the football, and that's going to help Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a quarterback you can win with, but he's not a guy. He's not one of the elite quarterbacks that, you know, the whole let Russ cook and I want to be great, and he's – he is – Russ, Russell has become more the celebrity guy. It's right. nothing wrong with his personal life. He he, he married a, a beautiful celebrity, and that's great. But he considers himself more celebrity than quarterback. He's become almost detached. He's not an elite quarterback, and he, they need to run the football better, and they need to use his legs a little bit more. And I think Sean will do that, and I think Sean's going to bring him down to earth. Uh, I think he's going to do his best to kind of rebuild his confidence, but I also think he's done a good job behind the scenes of saying uh, none of this, uh, you know, red carpet stuff. You need to be in the film room doing your job. Well, the Philadelphia Eagles, who were the uh, runner-up in the Super Bowl, lost not only their offensive coordinator, but their defensive coordinator as well. First up, we see Shane, uh, is it pronounced Steichen? Steichen, yes. Steichen of the Indianapolis Colts, former offensive coordinator of the Eagles. And they've got all sorts of controversy going on there right now with uh, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, listen, I understand that, you know, the, the premium for backs are just not there, and Jonathan Taylor is an elite back. I think there's a point where some of these uh, organizations feel like there's a certain level they're willing to pay and they don't want to go above it for a running back. But I think this team doesn't have enough playmakers. I think the quarterback, by the way, is off to a good start, Anthony Richardson. I think it's going to be a good fit for Shane Steichen's offense, but they need a back like Jonathan Taylor. It appears that that's not going to work out. They've uh, given him permission to seek a trade. It's clear that they're looking to build for the future, and they're going to go with a, you know, they'll use the resources that they would get in a trade to build around uh, the quarterback. So that's the direction that they're, that they're going. In a division that's very mediocre, quite frankly, um, Jacksonville, I think, is the only team that has, I think, playoff caliber roster or potential. Uh, the Colts are going to be looking to build for the future. And then we go over to the Arizona Cardinals where they've got all sorts. They've got a total mess on their hands over there where the defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator of the Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, gets the job. And I'm kind of surprised that uh, that Arizona would pick a defensive-minded coach. Yeah, you know, it's, it's intriguing that you mention that because, you know, I think the biggest problem right there is they invested very highly in Kyler Murray, which I think he has – definite limitations. I think he can be more consistent than he has been, but I think there's some limitations in his game. And, you know, he's not going to be tied to Kyler Murray as the organization is, and uh, they moved on from not only a new head coach but a new general manager. So that's a complete rebuild, and I think that uh, they're looking to see what Kyler Murray can do this year. I don't think that uh, unless he gets a complete turnaround, I don't think he's going to be long for the future there as uh, the 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 um, the quarterback. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan is is a good young coach, and it's one of them that they decide to go with somebody that's really good as an organizer and wants to build around kind of the the defense. They've made moves, a lot of moves. In fact, they traded the, one of their top ten picks, a linebacker from Clemson. Isaiah Simmons uh, recently because they are definitely cleaning house and going towards the future with new GM and new head coach. I just read uh, somewhere yesterday that Kyler Murray may not even play this season. 
He may not, and I think that they're monitoring everything with how he handles things. There's been a lot of issues with him not being the hardest worker, not being the biggest leader, and, and I think that, quite frankly, if it wouldn't be for the negative effect of releasing him on a contract from a cap standpoint, he'd probably be out the door and they'd go forward. I think that's where it's going to happen. I don't know that he's going to play this year or how much he's going to play, if he's going to be healthy enough to play. Um, I, I don't I don't see him as a future quarterback of the Cardinals, quite frankly. There was a big controversy last season when they re-signed him that in his contract they'd stated he had to study X amount of hours per week. And, and when it came out, it was a whole controversy. And I said to myself, why is it a controversy? If the kid, they clearly know the kid doesn't pick up a playbook or his iPad playbook, whatever the case is, and you're going to sign him for big money, that requires a commitment not only on the team but also on the player. And so I don't know why they backed down on it. If I were the general manager, the owner, Bidwell, I would have said, look, we want to make sure that he's just as committed to our team as we are to him. And we're not going to back away from that uh, from that that clause that we put in the contract. Yeah, I think that the, the issue there was, I think you, they were right in the contract. I think what would, and this happens in this day and age, they were embarrassed that it got out or somebody leaked it out. Well, once that gets leaked out, you really kind of usurp the leadership traits of the quarterback. Basically, it kind of embarrasses him and it kind of diminishes things in the locker room because it shows, hey, this th they had to put this in his contract. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you there's certain things that you do, but you try to keep it in-house. I think that was part of the problem there. It's been part of part of the reason why they've had a complete changeover in the organization. It wasn't the fact that they had it in the contract. It was the fact that it somehow leaked out that became an embarrassment for the player which in essence kind of hurt, again, the leadership structure of, you know, a, a quarterback needs to be able to lead from within. And so if you're going to challenge your guy behind the scenes, you need to do it. But if you're going to challenge your guy in front of everybody to where it becomes uh, where your teammates don't respect you, that's where it kind of got off to the wrong foot, I think. D'Amico Ryans, the former defensive coordinator with the 49ers, becomes the head coach with the Houston Texans. And the Texans are another mess. It, they are. I think that's a team that uh, also has a very, along with the Cardinals, has a really poor roster. But they drafted, they hope, their quarterback of the future and their defensive leader of the future, um, when, what I thought was a very impressive draft this uh, April. So D'Amico came up in that organization. So I think one of the issues that they've had is kind of uh, understanding how things want to be done from a, an ownership standpoint. Cal McNair, since taken over his, from his dad, um, you know, there's been some issues with GM and structure. So I think that certainly uh, the GM is in the, under a lot of heat, Nick Cesario, and we'll see how well that's going to play out. But D'Amico Ryans is definitely the leadership the, that they're looking for, the guy that I think the players are going to respond to. So I don't know how many games that they're going to win but from a roster standpoint, but I think they're getting better, and I think the overall direction and culture at least is off to a good start in terms of changes. Last coaching change, Frank Reich, who was uh, ousted midway through the season with the Colts last year, becomes the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. I like Reich. I think a former Buffalo Bill, I think he's got great uh, leadership abilities. I think uh, the Colts, just kind of a mess. 
Well, and, and look, I think that there's no question that that was a complete mess, and I was really surprised that it went so bad so quickly for Frank, and I thought a little bit of a scapegoat. I think the change is in order now. He's he's uh, definitely working for a very uh, tempestuous owner in David right. Tepper. But, I look, I think Frank's a good coach as well. I think w- what I like most about Frank is he's, he's steady. He's low-key, but he's a real good teacher. They drafted their quarterback of the future. That's a pretty good team. Again, much like the AFC South, the NFC South is very weak, very mediocre. Quite frankly, I'll say it. I don't think there's a playoff caliber team um, in the division. At least Jacksonville in the AFC maybe has that chance. I don't really see one. Obviously, somebody's going to make the playoffs. you got to, the division winner gets in. Carolina's got some pieces on defense with a young quarterback with Frank. Um, that's a pretty good future, at least uh, that's what the new owner, Dave, or what the owner uh, hopes with his new head coach. Let's take a look at the 2023 NFL draft. Three of the top four picks. Quarterbacks, no surprise. you got to have a great quarterback. Everybody wants the franchise quarterback. Bryce Young out of Alabama goes to the Panthers. C.J. Stroud of Ohio State goes to the Texans, and Anthony Richardson out of Florida goes to the Colts, the three teams we were just talking about. Yeah, Bryce Young is the most ready from an understanding of how to run a team organizationally and how to how to lead, how to study, how uh, understanding of offenses, understanding of defensive structure. He was taken number one because of the intangible factor. The question is, can he stay healthy? Is the size going to be an issue? C.J. Stroud has probably more natural ability as a passer, but he's not as progressed at this point, so he's more in the developmental stage. While Anthony Richardson at four, they are strictly, and they've already announced that they're going to start him, and Shane Steichen is going to build an offense around him. It's going to be RPO-based, he did a really good job in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. Anthony Richardson is not as developed as a passer as Jalen Hurts at the same stage, but you're not going to find a guy that's more. This guy is a more athletic Cam Newton, and if he can harness his skills and develop an offense around him, that is exactly what the Colts are trying to do and build around. So uh, intriguing guys nonetheless, um, and and I think it's going to be intriguing to see how those guys – come along and uh, uh, the, all three are going to have their chance and likely all start this year. There was a run on offensive tackles uh, starting with the sixth pick. Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State goes to the Cardinals and then there was uh, Darnell Wright out of Tennessee goes to the Bears and then right after Pete Skornoski out of Northwestern Big run on offense, and also I should say Broderick James out of Georgia goes to the Steelers, so everybody wants quarterbacks and they want offensive linemen. Yeah, you need to have two tackles that basically can protect the blind side of the quarterback, but also the front side of the quarterback is your um, often at right tackle on the left side defensively, people are putting some of their best pass rushers there, so you have to have almost guys that are what we call two left tackle type, you know, foot quickness, um, you got to have that. I mean, if, if the quarterback in the passing game is going to be the forerunner of how you build your team, you better have playmakers, but you better have it starts at the line of scrimmage with protection. So that's why the tackles went high. I think all will play what well. Darnell White, right, is going to help the Bears pretty early. Tennessee's got a really bad offensive line that they're trying to rebuild. We just talked about Arizona there in the rebuild. 
Um, Broderick Jones, I think, is going to help the Steelers pretty early. I think he's got potential. The thing about it is I think that offensive linemen are the easiest position to evaluate as a scout. And I recently did a podcast on that on LandryFootball.com just explaining why that is. But it's all—it's the most difficult position to develop outside of quarterback. Um, it's very difficult. So I don't know that these guys will be instant hits, but I think they'll all be staples at least uh, in time. Then there was a run on wide receiver. Everybody wants weapons too. You know, I mean, you, you got to have a quarterback. Then you got to have a lineman, and everybody wants the weapons. And the wide receivers. There was a big run starting in the first round. Pick number twenty, Jackson Smith. Uh, Najiba out of Ohio State, then Quentin Johnson out of TCU went to the Chargers. Zay Flowers, who I watched earlier this week, looked pretty good uh, out of Boston College with a 23rd pick. And then the 24th pick was Jordan Addison out of USC to the Vikings. And then with a 26th pick, I'm going to put him in kind of into the wide receiver weapon area. Dalton Kincaid out of Utah, the tight end, went to the Bills. Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be another playmaker, and Seattle's got those big receivers and Geno Smith. It's a, it's a big weapon. He's off to a really good start. Now, Quentin Johnson is another weapon for Justin Herbert. That's been, a, in my opinion, an underachieving organization from a head coaching standpoint. But with Justin Herbert and, and they can get help on the offensive line, Quentin Johnson's going to be a Big, big weapon for Justin Herbert. Zay Flowers is outstanding and uh, I think is going to really help um, Lamar in that offense. Now, Jordan Addison concerns me a little bit attitude-wise and work ethic-wise, and he's not off to a good start in Minnesota. We'll see. Dalton Kincaid, you kind of referenced him with the Bills. Uh, really good receiver out of Utah. Really good work ethic and be a Y-flex guy that they can work down the seam. So, uh, absolutely, got to have those weapons, and uh, they, 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 I think the value for those guys was about where they started to come off the board, uh, mid to late first round. And last season, I remember watching. I believe it was Utah USC, and Dalton Kincaid just lit it up. I mean, it was something I'd never heard of the kid, and I watched the game, and I'm like, man, this guy really is the real deal. And uh, I, but I thought there's no way the Bills would be in a position to draft you know, an elite wide receiver tight end. And they were able to, he hung around and they were able to uh, trade up. And I think the Cowboys were going to draft him and they picked him up. But watching that USC-Utah game, that really opened my eyes. Well, a lot of people torch USC's defense. And, and I thought he did a great job in that game. He did a good job all year long. He's certainly one of the better uh, receiving tight ends that have come out. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was the best amongst uh, the, the group of, crop of tight ends coming out in this past draft. He had a really good season, really good career, um, but he absolutely uh, torched USC. All right, let's start with the uh, – well, we start with the AFC. Let's start with the NFC this year. First up, the NFC East, the Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, Commanders. The uh, Cowboys had a good season, but they replaced their offensive coordinator with their head coach. The Giants, Brian Dable, first year, uh, winning season, got to the playoffs. Eagles, of course, hit the Super Bowl, and the Commanders look to have some light. Sam Howell looked pretty good in the preseason game, and uh, they bring in the offensive co- new offensive coordinator, uh, who for many for a while, I think probably what he was passed over by I don't know how many head coaching jobs, and I think finally realized that you got to stand on your own two feet away from Andy Reid if you're going to do anything. 
Yeah, I think this division is the Eagles. In fact, I think the NFC is the Eagles. you got to go up and catch this team. It's the best roster in the NFC. It's the only roster in the NFC that can challenge the top of the AFC where the strength is in the NFL. Uh, best line of scrimmage team they've got. Uh, they're just great on the offensive line. They're deep on the defensive line. Um, yeah, they've had some changes in, in integral parts, but they've actually gotten better as a roster. The quarterback has developed a lot quicker and better than I thought. Um, I, I think it's the Eagles and everyone else in this division. The Cowboys certainly have a very good defense. I've got some concerns about Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott and how they're going to run it. Now, I think that McCarthy's going to want to run the football a little bit more. I think that's good if he sticks to that. Uh, how's that's going to play with Dak? I don't know. We'll see. Um, to me, the Cowboys, if they're going to be a factor, they're going to have to get back to running the football, play to the strength of this team, which is their defense. We'll see how that goes. The Giants, so well coached. Brian Dayball did a phenomenal job last year. I think, um, you know, as they're getting a little bit better, they've had more pieces. You know, I think Darren Waller is going to help them. Speaking of tight ends, you can catch. He's if he can stay healthy, they just, to me, they, they were not a playoff roster. And to get in last year was very impressive. I think they're only getting better. And I think the commanders are going to be a fun watch. It's maybe one of the best. I think it's definitely one of the best defensive lines. Uh, and I think has a chance maybe to be a pretty good defense again this year. Uh, we'll see how they, you know, the, the quarterback situation goes. And I think Ron Rivera with a new owner, is going to be a, a you know under some scrutiny, but I, I think that it's a it's a very good division in that the Commanders are the weakest link in this division, uh, but the Giants' roster is you know not much better than Washington, but they're so well coached. Those are two pretty good teams that are fringe playoff teams. The Cowboys have talent, and again, the Eagles are the gold standard in the NFC right now. Eric Bieniemy, a little controversy. Some of the players were uh, complaining that. He was too tough on them. And then Ron Rivera came out and said something, and, and it was a whole to-do, which I think is finally blown over. But, you know, for players to complain because you've got an offensive coordinator or coach that wants to ride them hard, that's kind of uh, – it, it maybe shows they're a little soft. They're not used to uh, being properly coached. Yeah, that says more about the players on the team than Eric Bieniemy to me. So that would be concerning about – uh, if they're not going to react to that, this, this ought to be a season where they really figure out uh, who the keepers and who the guys uh, that um, they're going to build around. Look, it's always your 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 message uh, can always be improved as a coach. But, you know, look, when you're not very good, you, you need to show up and you need to work and you need to you need to um, to put in that extra time. You need to put in that extra energy. And I, I think you, you can be – uh, a little bit acceptance of losing at times. And, you know, it's a business and you get your money. And I think there's been a lot of that in Washington. There's been a lot of excuse-making. Look, the owner was a disaster, the previous owner. Uh, but all of that kind of made for excuses for maybe players to do this or that. And I think they have gotten a little soft. And that's something that they need to be toughened up this year. And I think Eric can certainly do that from an offensive standpoint. Much Now easier. we move to the NFC North, the Bears, the Lions, the Packers, the Vikings. The Lions really came on the second half of the season. The Packers no longer have Aaron Rodgers. And the Minnesota Vikings, they had a great record, but they won like, uh, I think their margin was just so you know minimal. And some of it was smoke and mirrors. So what's your take on the NFC North this year? 
Yeah, I agree that I thought that um, the Vikings were, you know, just hard to believe. You watch them on tape, you don't think they won as many games as they did. I, I don't think they're a real deep threat. I think the Bears are going to be better. I think uh, Justin Fields is only going to get better. Um, Green Bay is going to take a step back, no question. I think Detroit's the flavor of the month and it's going to be the fun team to watch. And look, I always say, you know, you don't pick up, you, you don't start the season where you picked off last year. Um, but they definitely finished well. Let's see how Detroit handles being the favorite and the right. expected winner. And okay, you know, can you win twelve games? You know, they they've got to they've got to become a little more consistent. And I think that um, they've added a few more pieces to the puzzle. I like what Dan Campbell's done there. I like the attitude. Um, but now it's going to be a little different being you know the favorite as opposed to being under the radar. The NFC South used to be a pretty strong division. It's pretty weak now. It is. You know, the Bucks have taken a step back. I think the Saints have the best overall roster right now. It depends on Derek Carr, how well he plays in health. That's the one team that has a chance to be a playoff caliber team, and I think it would make them the favorite to win the South, but not by much. I mean, Carolina's, uh, I think, got a pretty good future. I think Atlanta's a team to watch. They've got, you know, one of the few teams that's offensively built around the running game, and they're uh, rookie back B. John Robinson is going to be a huge factor for Arthur Smith. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, and I think everybody's kind of mediocre, and I wouldn't be surprised if any of the four teams won it. I just would be surprised if they won it winning like 12 or 13 games. I don't think we have that type of team in that division. Do you think Todd Bowles will be on the hot seat? Well, I think that, that certainly you always are, and if, you know, to me it's going to be about – you know, the leadership, obviously, without Brady, it's going to expose whether Todd can handle this or not. Um, so I do think that he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny. I do think that he's Bruce Arian still has the year of ownership and upper management there, and he's a big Todd Bowles guy. I think if it collapses, then he's in trouble. But I think this has got to be a steadying of the ship type of year because you don't have Brady there. The quarterback situation is so important. That's a real concern, obviously, you know, going with Baker Mayfield. It's the best option they have, the guy with the most experience. But that is as inconsistent as can be. And I don't know that the future quarterback is on that roster, whereas the Saints feel pretty good about it. Uh, Carolina feels pretty good about their quarterback of the future. Atlanta, not quite sure with Desmond Ritter. But I think the Bucks are, to me, the biggest issue is what are they going to do at quarterback going forward beyond this year. That's the biggest concern I have there. Yeah, they've got Kyle Trask. Uh, didn't get the starting uh, job over Baker Mayfield. Is he a potential future starter? I don't see him as a starter in this league. I thought he did a good job in camp. From what I, you know, I saw a little bit of him, and the coaches tell me he did a good job. I don't see him as a starter, starting caliber player. He may have to start. He may be the starter next year, but I think they need better. Did you run into John Gruden down in the bayou uh, working with the Saints? Uh, Saints? I, I, I did not. Um, you know, I know he's got the relationship with, with Dennis, and I think he's been very, very low-key, very low-key. Right. <laughs> as right as, as, as well he should. All right, let's move to the NFC West. The Cardinals, the L.A. Rams, the San Francisco 49ers, the Seattle Seahawks. I can make one prediction, guaranteed. The Arizona Cardinals will not be winning the NFC West. 
Uh, that's a safe predi- prediction. I'd put uh, I'd put a lot on that out there. If you if you I don't think you, the odds are very good though because it's uh, it's going to be pretty um, pretty standard. Not only in the it may be the odds on favorite to have the number one pick in the draft. They're that bad. It's a rebuild, um, and it's a very soft division because I think the Rams are another team in a rebuild that we'll see how healthy Matthew Stafford can say. And Cooper Cup looks like he's getting healthy, but I, that Rams team was a bit of a fool's goal. They they basically have not been as good uh, drafting, and they kind of, you know, went for broke and, and you know, got, got a good break to win a Super Bowl out of it, but uh, I don't think they're very good. I think Seattle's well-coached. I think they're a good team. I think they're a playoff team, and I think San Francisco's got uh, the best roster in the division. The quarterback situation is not great, but it's good. It's functional. They run the football. They've got a well-schemed running game. Um, They've got a very good defense. They've drafted well on the defensive line. So I think it's two teams that are really good playoff caliber and two teams that are, quite frankly, very poor. What's the name of the quarterback that the 49ers uh, gave away umpteen first-round and second-round picks uh, to draft a season before last? Yeah, they've they got uh, Trey Lance is, is the Trey guy Lance, that that's it. they moved up for, and then now they're trying to figure it out. Is, uh, they've uh, <laughs> brought in another guy that was a high pick in Sam Donald, who's going to be the number two behind Brock Purdy. So I think that's the sign that they're um, – unfortunately for them, he hasn't played well enough to garner much in return – for a draft pick, but to me, if they're going to move him, that tells me that they really don't have any hopes for him because if they had any hopes at all for him, let's remind folks what happened in the the, uh, the championship game last year. They, had, they were down three quarterbacks. So if they thought they had any hopes, I would keep the young quarterback uh, just as insurance for, you know, if you, you've got two quarterbacks with injury histories, you don't know what you're going to be doing the final stretch of the season. Uh, that tells me if they move this young guy is that they don't think that there's any chance that they wouldn't even trust him putting him in the game as a third-team quarterback. That's what it tells me if they trade him because I don't think they're going to get a whole lot in return. Just because he was a high first-round pick, they'd be very lucky to get anything than a late-round pick for him. Yeah, they traded the farm to get him, and at yes. the time – they were making comparisons to Josh Allen, saying, "Well, the kid, you know, d- didn't really play in a in a major conference, but you know, he's got the uh, the attributes, and and we can coach him and 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 work with him." But he only started a very limited number of games, and uh, they really they reached. No question about it. And you know, yeah, people made the North Dakota State, Wyoming. They kind of made that, you know, hey, smaller school, success, the athlete can run. Uh, and develop, but you know Trey is not nearly developed. He was definitely overdrafted, misevaluated by um, some folks that have done a pretty good job drafting overall. Uh, that wasn't a good move. Gave up an awful lot, and their seventh round pick Brock Purdy, who's not great, certainly they're winning games with. And you know that offense is to me <clears throat> is about you know decision making, and they. They do a good job with their running game, and they work a lot of in-cuts in the passing game. That's easier throws. So kind of the, the, the game's in front of you, so to speak. Uh, you've got to make good decisions, first of all. Trey Lance has ability to make plays, but, you know, I think he's probably going to be a better fit and a better offense where he gets another start, and we've seen that happen before. So in the NFC, we're looking in the East. You're predicting the Eagles to win that division. 
The NFC North, I didn't get your prediction on that one. Well, I would still go with Detroit. I think they've the most stable-looking roster, and uh, I, I, I like them uh, in that division. And how about the South? I would go with the Saints. They have the best roster at this point. Saints and then San Francisco in the West? I'd go with San Francisco, but I think Seattle is right there with them. Um, in fact, I would put San Francisco, Seattle behind Philadelphia as – so maybe some of the biggest contenders. I, I, if I was going to put teams that I trusted, uh, I would put San Francisco, Seattle. Maybe not good enough to go all the way, but I think they're probably uh, better and maybe more consistent than the second-best team in the East, better than any team in the South. Um, and, 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 so I, 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 and I think maybe other than Detroit, better than any team in, in the North. AFC East, the Buffalo Bills, we've got the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, the New York Jets. I will predict that the Patriots will not win the division. Yeah, but I'll, I'll say this, that you know when I look at this division, and, and I know we'll get to the North in a second, it's the AFC East and the AFC North that are the two best divisions in the NFL. And who's the best? I think they're a little bit different. So I look at the East and I say, What's the ceiling of all these teams? You know, if everything goes well, the, the health and the Bills are a team that definitely could go to the Super Bowl. I'm not comfortable saying that the Dolphins could go to the Super Bowl, but I think this offense could be as explosive as any offense, uh, maybe along the lines of Kansas City, if they can stay healthy. And that makes them a threat to go deep. I, I think the defense has got – some components that could make them pretty good, but they're off to a bad start with the injury to, to Ramsey. So I think those two teams are good. And then the Jets, look, we, the offensive line's the only concern. I think the defense is good. I think Aaron Rodgers and I think the young receivers are great. I could make the case that all three of those teams are really capable of making a deep run and going to the Super Bowl. Um, the, the Patriots are not. But I got to tell you this, if you're in the AFC East and you think you've got a pushover every, when you play the Patriots, uh, good luck. That's a really good fourth team. They're good defensively. I think they'll get better play out of Mac Jones. That's a team that is capable in any other division of maybe winning nine games. Uh, in this division, I still think they can win seven, eight games. It, in, in, uh, under, on a situational standpoint, Absolutely, the Patriots are dangerous to beat any one of those three teams on a given day. Uh, I think the AFC East is really, really difficult. You brought up something when talking about the Miami Dolphins. You said, you know, if they stay healthy. And I remember Marv Levy would always say when he'd at, when the reporters would say, well, you know, what's your goal this year? And he'd say, our first goal is to stay healthy because if we don't stay healthy, we can't win our division. And if you don't win the division, you can't win the conference. And if you don't win the conference, you can't. Uh, go to the Super Bowl and ultimately win the Super Bowl. And last year, the Bills experienced that with injuries left and right. And we see other teams that get hit by the injury bug. It's almost a probability, a probable certainty that somewhere along the line, you know, teams are going to experience more injuries than others. The Bills certainly had that. And you hit it right on the head. I think any team will only be as successful as how healthy they stay. Yeah, I think, you know, rosters have to be built from the bottom up. And I think, you know, if you lose your starting quarterback, you're not going to likely go all the way. But you're going to lose guys on the offensive line. So you right. better have seven guys that can play. You better have 
a rotation of eight guys on the defensive line that you can play. That's why the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl. That's why the Eagles are so good. They're deep. They can rotate guys in. So not only do they play guys when the front-line guy goes, gets injured, but in the fourth quarter, because you can play and rotate guys, you're fresher. And so I think that's really key. Uh, you're going to deal with injuries, and I think you have to have good young players and you have to be good at developing players because – Come November, around Thanksgiving, you've got a different-looking team because you've banked a number of practices one after the other from training camp all the way through November to where you've got guys that maybe uh, weren't much of a factor in preseason that, that are, but are good enough to make the team that could end up being starters come playoff time. So depth is king, and if you don't have it, you're going to get exposed, and it's going to cause you to fall short. You mentioned Buffalo. That that was a big issue, and you know that people need to realize that as I've said before, and I've used this phrase, it's not how good you are when you're at your best; it's how good you are when you're at your worst. If you're not going to be deep enough, you're more than likely, unless you have incredible luck, you're not going to go that far. And that's what's one of the reasons why the Bills have fallen short. They've been when they're really good and they're really on. They're capable, but they've not made the Super Bowl recently is because the teams like Kansas City, teams like Cincinnati, they're a little bit more balanced, and they can withstand some of the things that the Bills have not been able to deal with. Now Buffalo is faced in a division with Miami, with the Jets, that you know winning the division is not a given, whereas I think in Kansas City – you know, I wouldn't say it's a given, but it's a high probability that they win it. I can't say that about, you know, the Bills or anybody in the AFC East. Uh, well, you know, being a Buffalo Bills diehard fan, I'll predict the Buffalo Bills. But I will say this with a the caveat. They have to stay healthy, number one. And number two, they have to peak at the right time. Last year, they didn't peak at the right time. Um, they need to peak starting right late November, you know, on into December in the playoffs. And, and I think it's any, any sport, you got to peak at the right time. If you blow your wad too soon, doesn't work. And we've seen so many teams that, you know, have a meet an okay start to the season. I remember the Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, they had an okay start. They hung in there, but they really picked it up at the right time. And that is going to be the key. Let's move to the AFC North. Uh, I think that's going to be a much improved division this year. The Ravens are going to be improved. Todd Munkin, new offensive coordinator. The Bengals obviously have had some great seasons. Steelers look improved. Browns, who knows? I think this is the most balanced team, balanced division. And if I was going to just look at the the, the four teams and look at the 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 the, the ceiling of them. Um, I think they're really good. Now, I don't think they have as many Super Bowl contenders as the AFC East, but you've got Cincinnati that's definitely a Super Bowl contender that's very good. Uh, Quarterback's got to come back. He will be healthy. Don't know, but I I think they're in great shape. That's that's, I, I think other than Kansas City, that's the team that's got more components that can withstand things, you know, than anybody in the AFC. I think Baltimore is good. I don't know that I trust them in saying that they're a Super Bowl team, but they're just on the cusp. They're really good. They're good defensively. They're good on special teams, and the quarterback is very athletic. I don't know that they pass the ball well enough to be a Super Bowl threat, but I think they're just close to it. Now, Pittsburgh, I think they'll run the football well again. 
I, Kenny Pickett is looking very good, and I think they could be a surprise team, meaning surprise good. I don't think, again, not Super Bowl team. Maybe I don't even know if they make the playoffs, but I think they're a playoff caliber team. So I think they're really good. I think Baltimore and Pittsburgh are really good. Cleveland is the wild card, and I mean that figuratively, not literally. They have a chance to be really good. I mean, if, if, I, if I could make a scenario where the Browns could finish fourth, but they could finish second too. I mean, they, you know, it really depends on Deshaun Watson and the offseason being the starter. Um, I could make the case all four of these teams are playoff teams. Um, not going to all make it in the playoffs, but they're playoff caliber. Whereas, say, the AFC East, which I think has more Super Bowl contenders, I don't see the Patriots as a playoff team. But I think the upside for all four of these AFC North teams is playoffs. Yeah, I think uh, Cincinnati, I'd take them as the odds-on favorite. However, I think the Ravens are going to be up there. I think you hit it right on the head with the Steelers. Any of them, I think whoever wins that division, they may only win by a game. I think it's going to be very tight, just like the AFC East. I don't see the Bills running away with it like they did in previous years. I think everything's going to be very, very tight. AFC South, there's pretty much Jacksonville and everyone else, the Texans, Colts, and Titans. Yeah, I do think Jacksonville is, you know, with the quarterback playing better, Trevor Lawrence has got some ability. I, I think they've done a nice job in the draft. I think they've got the best talent. Houston's got a roster that's kind of in a big rebuild. Tennessee's offensive line is bad. The Colts, not very talented. So I'm with you. The, the issue, though, is if Jacksonville takes a step back, then I think it's one of those divisions where it's a race to win nine games and win it. Jacksonville's the one team – to me, that looks like they can win maybe 11 games, uh, you know, m- maybe 12. Um, and, and so that, to me, I look at it as, are they a playoff caliber team? Well, maybe the be- they're the best team in the division and likely will make it, but I think they're playoff caliber. They're a team that we saw that last year against the Chargers, which was a choke job for them. But I would put Jacksonville in that group of teams that could line up and play with some of these teams we're talking about that are playoff teams and could win a game or two. It wouldn't shock me, for example, in a very deep AFC if Jacksonville, we're talking about Jacksonville, look out, man, they snuck into the AFC championship. That wouldn't surprise me. Now, things have to be aligned right and everything, but that's that's saying a lot because the AFC is really stacked at the top. I think Jacksonville has emerged in that category. And then finally, the AFC West, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then the uh, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos. Chiefs and Chargers certainly appear to be the two best teams. Raiders, you tell me. Broncos, forget it. But uh, I think Chiefs, certainly the odds-on favorite. But with Herbert, uh, with the Chargers, anything can happen there. Raiders, I don't know. I think this is another very good division. I think all four of these teams have a chance to be pretty good. I think the Raiders can get better. That's the the team that's the weakest overall as a roster, but I think they've made some strides. That's a team that's not a playoff caliber team. Uh, The Broncos... And and the question is, can Garoppolo stay healthy for the season? Well, that's a big part of it, and that's why I don't, you know, I don't think the team is good enough around him like San Francisco was for them to be a playoff team, so I don't like them. Now, Denver has a really good roster. It is a very good defense. Um, and that's a team that underachieved. That's a playoff-caliber team. Um, now, I don't know if they can make it in that division. The Chargers are the second-most talented team in this division. 
Um, but coaching, I, I just, I, I, I just don't have any confidence in Brandon Staley. And uh, to me, if if the Spanos family would, they're the they're the cheapest in the league, and, and, and they, they don't have a great revenue stream relative for NFL standard, standards. That would have been the perfect place for Sean Payton with Justin Herbert, but they weren't going to pay that type of money. Um, the Chargers have a good roster. They've got some good young players. Uh, I, just, I just don't trust them to come up big in the playoffs. Kansas City's kind of the gold standard, and they'll continue to be. But I think that uh, – while I don't know that anyone's going to beat Kansas City, I do think that Denver and the Chargers, for different reasons, have a really good roster. That In the AFC, as I mentioned, when I look at the teams that are playoff caliber, Denver, Kansas City, the Chargers, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and I'd even throw in Cleveland, Buffalo, Miami, New, uh, the Jets, I named a whole lot of playoff caliber teams. I mean, right. think about that. New England, um, Houston, Indy, Tennessee, and the Raiders. That's the only teams that are not playoff caliber teams. They're, those teams are not good enough to make the playoffs uh, unless there's a collapse of some teams that are, and that happens sometimes. But I think it's the AFC is loaded with playoff caliber teams. I think it's strong at the top. I think it's much more stronger than the NFC. In fact, some of those teams that I mentioned that may finish second or third in their division would win the NFC South. You know, win, win. Uh, you know, maybe even com- compete and win the NFC North. Well, the two teams that have franchise quarterbacks, the Bills and the Chargers, have defensive-minded head coaches. And this year, Sean uh, yeah, Sean McDermott is going to call the defense after he. Let go of Le- Leslie Frazier, although they, they, they disguised it as saying Leslie wanted to take a sabbatical, which we know was bullshit. But uh, I think those two teams that are loaded with you know two great quarterbacks, the replacement coaches, whenever it may happen, I don't know when, will be offensive-minded. And as I told somebody, and maybe I, I think you'd probably agree with this, the day that uh, uh, Josh Allen walks into the owner's office and tells Terry Pagula, I don't think we can win with Sean McDermott. I need an offensive-minded head coach is the day that there will be a head coaching change made. Probably that's the way it happens. I'll say this. I think Sean is the right guy for Buffalo, and I think when he had Brian Dayball as his coordinator, you saw how well he did in developing Absolutely. Josh. I think that's a case, though, that he's a great leader. I think that defense needs to – you know, I, I think he's good for that defense. I think that 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 is a that's what could make Buffalo, quite frankly, the team to beat. But I think they need more components. I think that Kansas City's more talented. I think Cincinnati's more talented. They have more weapons. I think that's the reason why. So I think the Bills are a little bit lacking than compared to those other two teams in some of those areas. What I do think they need is they need more talent on offense and maybe need someone. That, and I do think Dorsey's really done a really good job, but I think that's what's holding them back. I, it, whereas I think in in Los Angeles with the Chargers, I think it is the head coach that's holding them back. I think there's a coaching issue in Los Angeles with the Chargers. I think there is a good team in Buffalo, but I think in a division or in a conference rather where you got to be great, I think that's held them back. I think that the depth that we talk about got to have a lot of help. Well, you do. You always do. I don't think they're as deep, and I don't think they're as well-rounded as the Chiefs or the Bengals, which is why I think they've fallen short. 
more so than coaching. That's that's my view on it. Yeah, and Dorsey had his first year as the offensive coordinator, and uh, you may say, well, second year, he's learned from his first year. He should be seasoned, more experienced. We'll see. A big question mark. We will we will find out on that. Uh, let me get the predictions for the AFC and NFC championship games. Well, I don't want to go with the two teams last year because that's just so big. But but to me, it's Philly and everybody else in the NFC. Now, again, things can happen. It's a long season. But I think they're the prohibitive favorite in the NFC. So I would, at this stage, make them the pick. I, I don't know where to go with the AFC at this point. Uh, I like Buffalo. I would put them in the mix. I'm not ready to go. I don't I don't think Miami's a Super Bowl team. I don't think the Jets will be offensive line-wise. I would say Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City or is the way to go with Jacksonville maybe as a sleeper. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's it, if if I was convinced that Joe Burrow is going to be healthy, I would go I would go with with Philly and Cincinnati as my pick, but uh, since you know I'm fond of you, I'll go with the with Buffalo and, <laughs> oh, well, and, listen, and throw that the in AFC there. AFC is a beast. Any way you look at it, it is. It is a beast, and whoever gets through the AFC, I think, has to be the odds-on favorite to beat any team in the NFC, simply because you know iron sharpens iron, and when you're playing the best of the best in a conference that's very difficult, you go to the NFC. I think uh, I think the AFC has the advantage of that, no matter who the team is. And we well, saw that I, last year in the Super Bowl. I, I would say that Philly is in the same class as the top teams in the in the uh, the AFC personally. And I thought Philly let one get away against Kansas City. I mean, I, I, I there's there's reasons for that, but I think they can. Their roster at Philly is as good as anybody's, and it's line of scrimmage base. And with the quarterback playing as well, I think they can match up with anyone. I think their path is a lot easier, uh, and I think it's a lot about health. I, I agree with you. It's more competitive than the AFC, which is why it's more difficult to say, all right, it's going to be Kansas City. It's going to be Buffalo. It's going to be Cincinnati. Because you know what? I could name four or five teams that can knock off any one of those three in the playoffs, whereas I have a harder time doing that um, in the NFC. I, I just think that Phillies doesn't have to play their best and, and still could be the team to beat and likely the NFC representative. Well, the 2023 NFL season kicks off Thursday, September 7th. The Detroit Lions at the Kansas City Chiefs, 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. But to me, the, the season really kicks off Sunday, September 10th. And I feel ripped off again this year, Chris, because the Bills last year opened up against the Rams on that Thursday night game. This year, we open up on Monday night at the Jets against uh, Aaron Rodgers. And to me, I feel ripped off because I, I love getting ready for Sunday, getting up in the morning, working out, you know, going to my favorite spot to watch the games with fellow Bills Mafia. And I just feel like I'm getting ripped off that day. Yeah, I'd imagine. But I tell you, who's not going to be ripped off is uh, everyone that's going to be looking forward to that Bills. And the, the, the team that's going to be talked about, well, maybe the most is, is going to be the Jets and Aaron Rodgers and, you know, how that's going to play out, how well he's going to play, how good is it going to be, is the offensive line going to hold up. And certainly being in New York, that's going to be the storyline. So I think uh, Bill's Jets is uh, going to be a lot of fun both times that they play this year. 
Yeah, and to me, as a Bill, as member of Bill's Mafia, I like being the underdog. Last year, we were the top dog, and everybody was gunning for us, the Super Bowl favorite. I want to be the underdog. I want to stay under the radar. I want to be the underdog. I want us to peak at the right time and surprise everybody. So I'd rather uh, play it that way. Now, Chris, you stay in your football cave the entire season for college and NFL. You've got a great site, LandryFootball.com, and you break down uh, every week, if I'm not mistaken, many of the big college games, the NFL games. So if somebody likes to wager on football, I would assume that your site would be a great go-to. Yeah, we have a lot of fantasy fans and people that wager on games. They like learning more about the game. And, you know, I always would like to say somebody can tell you, you pick this team or pick that team. What we try to do is explain the game from a coaching, scouting, front office perspective, getting deep into the tape so that you can understand and make your own decision about where you want to go with your fantasy picks or your gaming picks. So, you know, we break down the game uh, from that viewpoint to give you – uh, some things that maybe you can't get anywhere else. So, yeah, LandryFootball.com is the place to be. We think you're going to love it. Uh, the Landry Football Podcast Network, subscribe to that. We do a podcast uh, every day, multiple ones actually, that uh, you can find. Um, sign up for the Landry Football Podcast Network on Apple or Spotify. But we're, we're one-stop shopping for football. College, NFL, if you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. And, See the game, whether it's players, teams, coaches, schemes on the college or NFL level, we give you that coaching, scouting, front office perspective. Can't go wrong, and make sure you subscribe to Chris's uh, podcast. Do a search wherever you get your uh, podcast, Landry Football, and uh, that will bring it right up. Chris, as always, want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Last week, we did our college football preview. This week, our NFL it's uh, become our tradition, and I can't thank you enough. It's always insightful. Now, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Have a great football season. Everyone out there, enjoy it and uh, look forward to it. It should be a great Next ride. time I get up to uh, your neck of the woods in Louisiana, I'll bring the cigars and libations, and you can uh, uh, direct us to the best uh, Cajun Creole food uh, in your neck of the woods. That sounds like a deal. Done deal. Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Check it out. That wraps it up. Want to wish everybody a very happy and safe Labor Day weekend. I can't believe summer is over. Next thing you know, we're going to be talking uh, about the end of the year. Time goes quick. But can't wait for the start of the NFL season. Cigar Dave the General saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag Save America. Go Bills! Whack the Jets!